And if you remember, the book of 1 Peter is written to believers who are facing persecution and hardship in following Christ. And Peter is encouraging them to continue to be steadfast, to continue to follow Christ, to live for Christ, and some of the admonitions involved in that. And this morning as we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17, he's going to talk about what it means to be a servant of Christ. In the midst of what they're facing, in the midst of what they're going through, what does it mean to be a genuine servant of Christ and a follower of Christ? The first thing he points out in verses 11 and 12 is that being a servant of Christ means displaying Christ. Quite simply, being a servant of Christ means displaying Christ for the world. He says, Beloved, I urge, literally, I beg you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the first thing he points out here in terms of what it means to display Christ to the world is to abstain from the desires of the flesh. That if you're to properly display Christ to the world, one thing that has to be dealt with is these desires of the flesh and not allowing them to have a hold on your life. And he gives reasons for this. First of all, he says you're sojourners and exiles in the world. Literally, you're foreigners, you're non-citizens, you are people who come from another country and you're living as foreigners in a different land. And so with that, Peter's saying, just remember that as a servant of Christ, as one who is displaying Christ, you are an ambassador of another location. You're ambassador of the kingdom of God. So don't allow your witness to be weighed down by adapting everything that you see going on in the world around you, but be different, be distinct. Don't allow those fleshly desires to dominate you. Because he goes on to say that the flesh wages war against your soul. This is why fasting is so powerful, because fasting is a very practical way of saying no to the flesh and yes to the things of the Spirit. But the bottom line concept is the desires of the flesh are at war with the desires of the Spirit. And you can find examples of that teaching elsewhere in Scripture that your flesh wants certain things. Your flesh wants instant gratification. Your flesh just wants to be happy now, and the things of the Spirit are concerned with something big or something more long-term, and, and Peter's advising them, if you're going to display Christ, you've got to learn to say no to the things of the flesh. Say no to the desires of the flesh that are going to inhibit your walk with Christ. Again, we can fall into kind of the, the Pharisee mindset of if you have this sin, then shame on you, you're horrible, you're evil, you're terrible. But what Peter's talking about is this is about displaying Christ. And we don't want there to be anything in us, anything about us that's going to diminish that displaying of Christ, that's going to diminish that testimony of Christ, that's going to water down the witness that we have in the world. Or rather, not only abstain from the desires of the flesh, but he says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Even though, he says, they might call you evildoers. Now, they're not being called evildoers because of they're just living for Jesus, but there's some very specific things that the watching world didn't understand about followers of Jesus. 
First of all, as we already talked about, that Emperor Nero, in just kind of a personal quest, decided to set the city on fire, and he blames the Christians. And so they're accused of setting Rome on fire. They're, they're accused of incestuous relationships. Like, where, where does that come from? Well, as fellow believers, we often use sibling terms for one another, Right? brother, sister. So if you are outside of the church, if the, I mean, this whole Christian thing is very new to the world, and you see a bunch of people walking around referring to each other as brother and sister, and they're marrying each other, you've got brothers and sisters intermarrying. And if you're just watching from the world, you're like, ew. They were accused of killing babies. Where does that come from? Well, you've got a bunch of people who one of the hallmarks of their gatherings is eating flesh and blood. It's the body and blood of Christ, which we'll celebrate this morning. The world didn't understand what that was all about. All they knew is these people are running around talking about we're eating the flesh and blood of Christ. And so the assumption grew among the world that, well, they're sacrificing little kids and they're baking them into loaves of bread and that's the flesh and blood that they're partaking of. It's an un a misunderstanding of the, the ways of what it means to follow Jesus. But even then, Peter says, even then, don't let that diminish your testimony for Christ. Don't allow that to make you bitter. Don't allow that to make you just distance yourself from the world. But rather, he says, let them see your good deeds. Let them see your good deeds. Let them see Christ in you. Let them see what it means to live and follow and serve Christ. Let them see what it means to represent Jesus. And you see accounts, even in the midst of persecution, that there are Roman soldiers who don't want to put these Christians to death. We even see with, between Caesar and we see these issues of nobody wants to put Jesus to death. The Roman officials are like, he's, in, there's, he's just this um, innocent guy. We don't want to put, they even didn't see any cause to crucify him. We see in the accounts of early Christians that even the Romans who wanted to put Christians to death could not escape the lives that they were living, that they were good people, that they were loving people. And so it's very easy, I think, for Peter's audience to be living under persecution, to be living in a culture that doesn't understand you, calls you an evildoer. The easy thing to do is to withdraw. Look, I don't, I don't have to deal with this. I'm just going to escape to my safe little bubble and just live my safe little life. But Peter says, no, you've got to let the world see Christ in you. Let them see your good deeds so that they glorify God on the day of visitation. So that our lives point them to the reality of God, point them to the reality of the good news of Jesus. So that when they stand before God, they can say, oh, I should have known. I should have known because what I saw in the lives of these Christians. As I think about that and what it means to display Christ in a hostile environment. Now, for Jesus, it wasn't the Roman officials. 
For Jesus, it was the Jewish authorities who hated him, who wanted him put to death. But yet in the midst of that, how did Jesus conduct himself? How did Jesus live? Remember some of the uncomfortable accusations made about Jesus. He was lumped in with drunkards, tax collectors, sinners. Jesus didn't stay at a distance. Jesus got close. But not only did Jesus get close to the outcast and the sinners, the people that the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with, there was something about Jesus that attracted drunkards and tax collectors and sinners to him. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later. But there's something about Jesus. As we think about Jesus, Jesus is somebody who never once, in any way, shape, or form, in form, compromised the truth of God. But yet, Jesus was a welcoming presence to sinners, rebels, and outcasts. We'll come back to that. Because not only as a servant of Christ do we display Christ, the next thing Peter talks about is we honor everyone. As a servant of Christ, we honor everyone, starting at verse 13. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you, would, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And maybe we should add, because we've been outnumbered, submit to our new lanternfly overlords. Anybody else like being attacked by these things on a daily basis? Okay, just make sure it's not just me. What Peter says here in honoring everyone, first of all, is accept human authority and live in submission to that authority as a testimony to Christ. Now, sometimes we like to say that we live in the most corrupt and evil anti-Christian culture that's ever existed. We've got it made right now. Peter is writing this to believers who are seeing their loved ones taken by Nero, put on posts and lit on fire to light the streets. This is the kind of environment that Peter says, subject yourself to the emperor supreme. Well, Peter, are you okay? You do understand who the emperor is. Peter, do you understand what the emperor is doing? Just submit to him and be respectful to him? Peter said, yeah, be respectful to him. Because one thing that a lot of followers of Jesus wanted to do was create political rebellion. This is part of why Judas betrayed Jesus, because he was waiting for that Messiah who was going to lead a political rebellion. And I think that's part of why the Pharisees were even trying to prod Jesus, like, hey, what do you say about paying taxes? He's like, pay them. Submit yourself to the ruling authorities. 
as part of a testimony of living and honoring Christ. So that their persecution is not because they're disobeying the law. Their persecution is because they stand for the name of Jesus. And I think that's a very important distinction. I've talked before about an evangelism training ministry that I was a part of, and it started as a ministry just to give people tools to more confidently share their faith with others. And it quickly became this thing where if you wanted to be respected among this ministry nationally, you didn't just go out and share the gospel with people. It became, you've got to be out there on a, some kind of soapbox preaching to hostile crowds. To then it became, you're not really somebody unless you've got video footage of you arguing with police officers about your rights to speak where you want to speak. And all of a sudden, it became this badge of persecution. It's like, you're not being persecuted for what you're saying. You're being persecuted for being kind of a jerk. Peter says, it's part of your testimony. Be respectful and submissive to the authorities who are over you. But also, he says, live as free people. In Christ, we have tremendous freedom. We have been set free to live as God designed us to live. But Peter admonishes, don't use this freedom as a cover-up for evil. 1 Corinthians 6.12, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. It can be easy for us as Christians to say, Well, by the grace of God, I'm forgiven. And whenever I ask for forgiveness, he's going to forgive me. And so I can just do whatever I want. And that's probably, unfortunately, more pervasive than we realize. Peter says, you've been set free. You've been set free from sin. You've been set free from the law. You've been set free from death. But he says, don't use that as an excuse to sin. Don't use that as an excuse to do whatever you want, whenever you want. But allow your life, allow your life as you submit to authorities, allow your life as you live a holy, righteous life. Be a testimony to the world that Christ has made you a different person. And then in the midst of that, love and honor. Love and honor all people. It says, love all the believers. Love all the brotherhood. Jesus says, you'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. Love all believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Those sound so simple. You know, three, three quick keys to being a good Christian today. Love all believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Easier said than done. One of the orientation seminars last weekend, there was a, a parent meeting and there was a panel of students. You could ask these students any questions you wanted to ask. And I know that the thing is like, there's no such thing as a stupid question. That's a lie. There were a lot of really dumb questions. One of them, which wasn't necessarily a dumb question, but kind of a surprising one, one parent was like, well, roommate drama, like what, what happens? How does, you know, what does that look like? Why, why, why do roommates not get along? Like, you're not familiar with the concept of two imperfect people living in the same small space for a prolonged period of time? There's never any conditions on these biblical admonitions. 
Love all the brothers as long as they are lovable. Love all the brotherhood as long as they agree with you on everything. Love all the brotherhood as long as they are decent people. It says, love all the believers. Live in a fear of God. Again, not, not a terrified fear, but a holy reverence of God. Honor the emperor. Not if he's a, a good, upright, and righteous man. Not if he's conducting policies that we agree with. Because Nero did none of those. Peter says, honor the emperor. The Roman leaders, again, did not want to crucify Jesus. They didn't want to get involved. They couldn't find good enough reason. But they knew that resisting the Jewish authorities was going to cause a riot. And they could not afford a riot in Jerusalem. Something about the way Jesus lived his life. Roman officials found no reason to put him to death. Sinners actually found a friend in Jesus. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That can be hard. I read an article this week about uh, one of the editors of Christianity Today, uh, a very popular magazine. He used to be a, a high-ranking uh, official, the right terminology, or high-ranking within the Southern Baptist Convention. And he said in this interview with NPR that he has been shocked at the number of pastors who have contacted him because people in their churches are becoming disgruntled with what they call the liberal teachings of Jesus. Have we, is it possible we've lost the plot if Jesus, we no longer think, fits with how we want to live? Jesus is going to say things that should challenge us wherever we fall in the political aisle. The one we follow is Jesus. Whether his teachings are comfortable or not, there's nothing comfortable about his teachings, by the way. Never compromising truth, but being a friend to tax collectors and sinners. How do you do that? How do you do that? What we know about Jesus is Jesus fully at all times embodied truth without compromise. He never compromised truth. Never. Never in his actions, never in his word. We also know that Jesus was a magnet for broken and sinful people. We're never told specifically why that was. We're never told specifically what it was he did that was so intriguing. But they were drawn to him. We also know that Jesus angered the religious elite. Jesus deeply angered the religious authorities, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, is it possible? And I want to be careful how I say this. Is it possible that Jesus stood for people, not just issues? Is it possible that he stood for both without compromising either? Is it possible that Jesus loved people and wanted what was best for them? 
The Pharisees, we know, stood for principles, period, without concern for people. And we can be afraid of doing the opposite, of so standing for people that we compromise principles. But Jesus, unarguably, kept both in perfect balance. And as Peter calls us to be servants of Christ, to display Christ to the world, to honor those around us, what does that look like for us? To fully hold and cling to the truth of God and the truth of God's word, yet at the same time be someone who so loves that sinful people find a friend in us. Jesus never condones, condones their sinful activity, does he? But still... They found a safe place with him. What does that look like for our lives? To come to that place of balance. Where we can hold the truth of God and the truth of God's word without compromise, without apology. Yet at the same time, be accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What does that look like for us this week? as we interact with our neighbors or coworkers or classmates or people that we interact with, what does that look like for us? To fully live out and stand for the truth of God, yet at the same people, at the same time, love and honor the people that surround us. If I can see that Jesus didn't do either one of those, then that makes it easier. But I face this inescapable reality that he did both at all times without sacrificing the other. What does that look like for us? To be people of truth, but also, at the same time, people of love. That we can demonstrate through our lives the reality of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And I'm glad it's not up to us to try to do that. It's simply surrendering to the work of his spirit. Because the fruit of the spirit, the first thing mentioned is love. Jesus never calls us to compromise truth, but he also never calls us to compromise love. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us and show us what does it look like to balance those so that neither one is sacrificed, that we can best display the fullness of who Christ is. Let's pray.